This week on the Backtable Podcast. You can, as a physician, you can essentially ask the insurance company for their policy documents on specific procedures or specific disease processes. And it's probably a good idea if you do a large volume of uterine fibroid embolizations or a large volume of vertebroplasties, it would be a good idea to get the copy of the policy documents from your top, say, three or four um, insurers outside of Medicare and um, try to preemptively deal with these issues. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backtable Podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. For all of our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. You can find all previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or our website, which is backtable.com. Very easy to remember. Subscribe to the show, leave us a review, or reach out to us on social media. I'm Chris Beck, and I'll be your host today. I'm a private practice interventional radiologist based out of New Orleans. For right now, I'd like to take a moment and thank our longstanding sponsor, RadPad. RadPad radiation protection products developed by physicians for physicians and clinically proven to protect during CNA and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your health or anything less. Trust RadPad protection for all your interventions. See radpad.com for more information and contact information is info at radpad.com to learn more about radiation safety, CME credits for you and your team. And if you have a chance, tell them you heard about it on the Back to Bull podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Azana Azim. We're going to be talking about reviewing medical cases for insurance companies. Azana had an article in the IR Quarterly that I picked up and read. I thought it was a really uh, smart article, and I wanted to do a deeper dive into this topic. We'll link to that article in the show notes, but we're going to just be taking a slightly uh, deeper look into what I think is a, a pretty important topic. Azana, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Awesome. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your practice looks like right now? Sure. I am a, a private practice interventional radiologist. I work at Gunderson Health System in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I'm about seven years out of training. We do the sort of the full spectrum of IR work at, at Gunderson. Are you full IR or mixed IR and diagnostics? Like, is your time split between the two? I, I, I do a little bit of diagnostic. Most of my time is spent on IR, but between cases, I'll try to read some CTs and ultrasounds, some plain films, just to uh, to stay sharp on those. All right. So I read your article, and like I said, we'll, we'll link to that article in uh, the show notes. But one of the first things I just want to ask you is, how did you first get involved with reviewing medical cases for insurance companies? Well, it, it kind of came out of frustration, you know, I, I'm sure that most of your your listeners and you yourself have had experiences with prior authorizations going bad and not being able to get the procedures that you think your patients need. And um, after having a few of those, I finally decided that if I was fed up with it, then maybe I should do something about it. So I went to a a conference called SEEK, S-E-A-K, forget what the acronym stands for, but it's a conference held in Chicago for physicians who are interested in doing uh, non-clinical work. Now, most of the physicians that are at the SEEK meeting are there because they're not happy with their, their clinical work. Obviously, I am happy with my clinical work, but I was just interested in doing something a little bit different. 
because at the time I didn't know how to get involved in medical file review. And so I went there and there was a seminar and as it turns out, it's very easy to get involved. You just uh, submit your name and resume and credentials to any one of the 50 different companies out there and you can get started. So when you went to the conference, was it specifically because you were interested in this particular line or were you kind of open to a couple of different things and this and this kind of struck a chord with you? Yeah, this, you know, I was open to a couple of different things. I was I actually attended with a friend of mine who's in a different profession and who's kind of burned out in her field and she was looking for something different to do. I was looking for things to do in addition to to interventional radiology. I like doing things on the side. We have you know, some rental properties that we manage and things like that. And, um, you know, I was looking for something additional to do that was related to interventional radiology. And I had this idea of medical fire review because of all the frustrations that I have dealt with over the years. So that was the primary thing that I was going there to look for. But I, you know, was also receptive and open to other things. Okay. So, when you said like you heard about it with Seek, and actually I'll, I'll Google this and maybe there's a way I can link to, I'll, I'll team up with you and make sure that I can link to maybe that same conference that still goes on, sure. or maybe it doesn't. But when you say there's like 50 plus companies or so that that do medical file review, is there like a central, is it as easy as that there's a centralized location where you can apply for a couple or do you have to individually like trying to get on with one maybe in your area or not in your area? Like what does that kind of look like? Most of them are national. Okay. companies um, or large regional companies, and you have to apply individually to each of them. Now, Seek does have a database of physicians that are interested in doing medical file review, and you can pay to have your name put in that database. And then the various medical file review companies then go to that database and, and contact you directly. So that's a more efficient way to do it. But, but I think it costs about $500 upfront to do that. So during the conference, I know that you were particularly interested in this uh, line of work, but taking a little bit off topic question, did you see anything else that kind of struck you and were like, oh, well, that was neat, or I never thought of that, or that kind of seems like something that may be fun that could supplement, you know, kind of what I do? I, you know, I briefly thought about doing, being a, a professional witness, you know, for medical malpractice cases. That's obviously a little bit more involved and can involve travel. Maybe later in my career, I'll consider doing that. They also have different business opportunities for physicians, whether it's, you know, working in the STEM industry, you know, science, technology, engineering, math industry, or like the cosmetic medicine industry and things like that. It's quite, quite a few different options. Okay. So you mentioned that you review, um, you do medical reviews for interventional radiology cases. In your experience, well, actually, I should also, how, how long have you been doing it? It's been, gosh, I think it's been about two and a half years now. What are the most common cases that come across your desk? Well, number one is pelvic congestion syndrome. Number one, uh, easy, like an it, easy, like head and shoulders above the others. Head and shoulders above the rest. In fact, I just did one yesterday. After that is uterine fibroid embolization and radioembolization. Okay. And those two are like easy standouts for you. Is there anything else that kind of like comes in close fourth and fifth? The rest is just a smattering. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll get some interventional pain cases like facet blocks or epidural steroid injections, things like that. Occasionally, I'll get a chemoembolization case or a vertebroplasty case. There was a period when I first started, I was seeing a lot of vertebroplasty cases. I don't 
for some reason, see many of those anymore. Okay. So what does this process look like in terms of, I mean, like you clearly have a regular eight to five. And so what does it look like whenever there is a case ready for you to review? Do you kind of like put your hand up and say, I'm ready for one? Or do they just feed you like intermittently at a, a designated um, time point? So the, the company that I have a relationship with, and I, I only have a relationship with one company, you can have relationships with multiple companies. They have an online platform for the reviewers that allows us to indicate whether or not we're open to taking cases. So I just make sure that that's up to date. If I'm going to have time during the day to take cases, then indicate that. And as the cases appear, I'll get an email and or a, a phone call asking if, if it's okay for me to take a particular case. And then it's posted on the, the website. I go to the website, review the case, and then give my opinion. And each case right now takes me about 15 to 20 minutes to do. Okay. And kind of what is what is that more of the process look in terms of the nuts and bolts? Like whenever you whenever you click on the case, is it, you know, a PDF file? Is it like what does that look like on your end? Like, you know, you kind of being the user of that, you know, whatever the platform. Right. So initially when I open up the case, I get, you know, a web screen with different boxes in it that explain the CPT codes that are of of interest in this particular case, a very basic summary of the uh, the patient's presentation, and then a link to the documents that are being supplied. And then those documents are in PDF form. Very often they're uh, scanned in medical records, and you always get a copy of the insurance company's medical policy for that particular disease and procedure. And then it's my responsibility to go through the medical record um, give my summary of the patient's clinical story, and then address specific questions that they ask. And usually the questions that they ask are, based on the medical policy, is this considered uh, a medically necessary intervention? Yes or no? And then you, you know, uh, support your, your response. And then the second question is usually, if it's not considered medically necessary based on the policy. Are there extenuating circumstances in, in which the uh, insurance company should grant permission for this service? And that's often where my knowledge as an interventional radiologist, I think, comes in. Because in all of the pelvic congestion cases, I sort of have a, a template at this point that I put in that second section of extenuating circumstances because all of the insurance companies say it's investigational, experimental. And so the answer to that first question is always going to be, well, no, the patient doesn't meet criteria because, you know, you've essentially flat out say that it's not indicated and it's experimental for all patients. And so I have to explain in that second question why I think that's not the case and provide the evidence. Okay. And so going back to that first question, what exactly does it read again? Like remind us. It says um, some version. Well, actually I could... Do you want me to look it up for you? I can yeah, yeah, give you the actual yeah. wording. Yeah, Let's for sure. See here. And I guess like mother follow-up question to that, why, why you're kind of looking that up is, is the the medical policy, um, I guess, what is what does that part look up like? Like their, the, their medical policy on that procedure and they provide that for you, right? Yes, they, it's, it's usually a long document that 
the insurance company provides. The insurance company usually has a literature search that they've done. So they do sort of, you know, a, a survey, a summary of the disease process and the procedure. And then they go item by item through different indications for which the particular procedure is is covered and not covered. Okay. And, you know, you just have to use that in your assessment of the case. So let me just look up a case here. Yeah, for sure. All right. So here's an example. This was from Anthem. Is the requested bilateral gonadal vein and internal iliac vein embolization considered experimental and, and investigational in this member's clinical scenario based on the submitted Anthem medical policy? Why or why not? Okay. So that's sort of the way these, these questions are worded. And usually that response is pretty straightforward because, again, for usually we're talking about procedures that they say are just not covered. Sure. And then I think, I think what a lot of reviewers do is they just uh, end it there and then say that there are no extenuating circumstances. I think mm -hmm. that happens a lot for the procedures that we do. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons I got involved in this is to have a voice for, you know, the interventional radiologists to provide more information and, uh, you know, hopefully get some of these procedures covered. Yeah, of course. So when you review the case, you have access to... Like, what, what does it look like that where you're searching for that information to see if there are extenuating circumstances? Like, what are you then looking through? Is it like a bunch of notes? Is it a one summary that maybe the referring physician provides? It's, it's usually, well, it's always going, going to be a collection of clinic notes and labs and other types of clinical documentation. About half the time, we'll have a note from the physician asking for reconsideration of, you know, basically essentially an appeal of the decision. And then sometimes I'm doing a, a second or even a third review. So there may have been physicians or non-physicians before me who have rendered opinions. And sometimes I'll have those opinions as, as part of the document. Those physicians, are you able to tell, or if you have any knowledge, if uh, those are interventional radiologists or what field that they're in, or is it just, I mean, you, you know that another physician has reviewed it and, and you don't have any knowledge of who that is or, or or anything other than that, their what their review findings were. I, I I never know their their specialty. I just know whether or not it's a physician or a nurse. But I can tell very often from the way it's written whether or not they they're sort of aware of the field of IR and you know if they're competent in interventional radiology. Okay, that's fair. How long? I think you said you typically spend about fifteen or twenty minutes, roughly per case. Right. Okay. And from your perspective, what are some of the common, I don't want to, yeah, maybe you can call them common mistakes that you see that, that keep cases from being approved. Like, like I assume like you're just can't like blanket. I mean, you're not there to like be like some hero for interventional radiology where you're just blanket approving things. And so I assume like you do have some criteria. So what do you see that are some things that the referring docs are like some miscues on their part that might help them get more procedures uh, covered? Yeah, in, in general, documenting previous conservative interventions that haven't worked, that's always important. That's usually a criterion 
for any of these interventional procedures that you know insurance companies have. So whether it's you know oral analgesics or physical therapy or chiropractic work, anything like that, you should document it in your note so that we can know that conservative measures have been attempted. For uterine fibroid embolization, it really d- depends on the insurance company. Some insurance companies still require an endometrial biopsy. So it, it, it helps to know your, your patient's insurance company and whether or not they require endometrial biopsy. Some insurance companies specifically require a statement that says something like, the patient no longer desires to become pregnant. They need a specific statement like that before they'll allow uterine fibroid embolization. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of hard to go over everything. Sure, of course. But it, it really comes down to what's in the, uh, in the policy document. This may be kind of a silly question, but when you're dealing with a lot of different insurance companies, is there any is there any way to know what some of these criteria are? Like, I mean, you're kind of a back-end user in a way, so you might have a little bit of inside knowledge, but like, you know, I must deal with uh, a handful of different insurance companies. And is there a way to know on the front end what insurance companies require, like before you submit without having previous experience with that company? Yes, you can. You can, as a physician, you can essentially ask the insurance company for their policy documents on specific procedures or specific disease processes. And it's probably a good idea if you do a large volume of uterine fibroid embolizations or a large volume of vertebroplasties, it would be a good idea to get the copy of the policy documents from your top, say, three or four um, insurers outside of Medicare and um, try to preemptively deal with these issues. That's good advice. And so you just reach out to these insurance companies and they'll just openly provide like all their like uh, criterion for. Usually you have to sign, you, you have to sort of sign up into their, into their quote network. That doesn't require, you know, there's no cost associated with that, but it's to get you access to the, to the online documentation. And then uh, once you have that, you can download whatever you want. Okay. Is this something you knew before you got into this no. line of work? Oh, okay. Because this is news to me, but you know, here I am sitting here and, and maybe everyone knows about this and I have no idea. How about when physicians, or I know that I've submitted some documentation for review, some medical files. Does, does citing reference articles help hurt or, or move the needle in any meaningful way? It depends on the reviewer you get. So if you have a reviewer that's serious about their job, then, then it, I, it helps. Because for example, if, if I get a letter like that in the documentation that I receive and there's a reference in there that I haven't been aware of in the past, then I'll add that to my list of references and include it in my report. You know, but not every reviewer is sort of coming to this with, an agenda, you know, I mean, I, I'll admit I do have an, an agenda. I'm an interventional radiologist <laughs> sure. and I'm trying to do what I can to increase access to these procedures. Now, I'm, it doesn't mean that I, I, I'm not bending the rules or, you know, doing dishonest things. Sometimes I, I have to, you know, say that these procedures aren't indicated if the proper documentation isn't applied. But, you know, for, for someone like me, those references are, are, are useful. But I think a lot of reviewers out there just sort of stick to the insurance plan documentation and don't go beyond that. Sure. 
Is there any, I don't want to say or be unfair, but is there any pressure from the insurance companies to approve or uh, deny claims? Or do they keep track of like your approval rating or your, or how many claims are denied? I'm sure they keep track of that, but I, you know, I'm insulated from that because I, you know, I'm, I work with a company and then the company interacts with the insurance company. Right. So I see. So I don't interact directly with the um, insurance company. I have been pressured once or twice by the company I work through to change one of my decisions or one of my recommendations because they felt the evidence wasn't as strong as I, you know, felt it to be. But I just, I stick with, with what I believe and, you know, I, I, I don't change it. Yeah. You basically didn't give a shit and you're like, no, that's my, Pretty that's much. my answer. I'll stick with yeah. it. I mean, because, you know, Good. I don't, it, it, it doesn't pay well, you know, so I don't, I certainly don't need it financially. So I really don't care. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> That's great. Once you make your recommendation, do you have any follow-up on whether the procedure actually gets approved or not? Like, do you have any idea what happens? That's the missing that? link. I, I really don't know how effective mm -hmm. I'm being. I really wish that I had some follow-up. I like to think that I'm, I'm having a, a positive effect, but unfortunately I don't get that feedback. I see. Well, I think it's safe to say that at least you're not having a negative effect. Right. So... But so you never know one way or the other if your advice is adhered to or or what they do in terms of like the final approval process. No, no, I don't. Right. Okay. For an interventional radiologist who would like to participate in this process, one, I guess in short, is it something you would recommend? It's, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting and it's definitely made me better in my documentation of, you know, patients with, with these particular disease processes and procedures that I see commonly like, you know, pelvic congestion, vertebroplasty, uterine fibroid embolization. You know, I, I would like to see more interventional radiologists involved. I think I'm the only interventional radiologist in the group that I uh, work with. And so it would be nice to have more voices, but it's, uh, you know, it does take a little bit of time and it, you know, they can come, the, the work can come at, times when it's not convenient for you and you have to kind of make a decision, okay, what well, am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? Knowing that if you don't do it, it's going to go to somebody who's not an interventional radiologist. And so, you know, you have to deal with that. But I think if you're at all interested, it's probably worth trying. And what I would do is just Google medical file review on, on you know, online and you'll find tons of different companies. Or you can go to the SEEK meeting, to the SEEK website and get more information there. What's the, what's the company that you work for? It's called Medical File Review Institute of America. Oh, very interesting, very original name. So in terms of your company, if you don't mind me asking, I was just sure. interested, like you said, it, each file takes you about 15 or 20 minutes. What does like reimbursement for 15 or 20 minutes of your time? Or, or maybe they, like, do they pay you per time? Is it? Uh... It used to be per time. Now it's per case. And mm -hmm. they have different levels of cases. And it can vary anywhere from um, $85 per case up to, I think, $200 per case. Okay. The two, the, at, at the higher end, those take longer. Those can take, you know, an hour, hour and a half to do. Okay. So the longer or the, the, the higher paying ones actually really do take a little bit more of your time in terms take of more time. Yeah. yeah. Have you noticed any, 
regional differences in terms of how often cases uh, are getting approved? Like, can you tell, like, are there any areas that are getting more uh, medical uh, file reviews than others? Yeah, I, I see a lot from, from California, hmm. particularly for pelvic congestion syndrome. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's just because of the population size of California. Sure. But that's that's the one thing that I've noticed. Interesting. In terms of like, I, I will definitely link to the article that the quarterly wrote up. I thought they did a really nice job of, of touching on this. But is there anything else that didn't get asked or that we didn't cover today in terms of, of like what you would like people to know about this process or any advice you could give for people who are kind of interested and think that, you know, I would also like to, you know, I'd also like to, you know, play the good guy and make sure like we have a voice to be heard as far as like interventional radiology goes. I guess... It, it, it helps if you're also willing to do some uh, diagnostic radiology cases in the sense that, you know, the, the IR cases aren't as, as common as the diagnostic radiology cases, you know, like lumbar spine MRIs and so forth. So I do a few of those just so that I can sort of stay, you know, in touch with the system, the, you know, and the, the process of, of doing it so that I'm fast. But, you know, that's not a requirement. You can say, I only want to take interventional radiology cases, and that's it. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. To our audience, I want to thank you guys for listening. We covered a, a really cool topic today. I hope you guys got some value out of it. If you want uh, more information, please check out the show notes. Those can be found at www backtable.com. We'll have links to anything that me and Azana talked about uh, today. And for those who have been skeptics as to actually, if we're putting out our show notes, we've, we've got someone new doing it and they're doing an incredible job. So please take advantage. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like to support the show, here are two easy ways, guys. First, take one second and press the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. This helps software like iTunes or Spotify know that you, our audience, value what we're doing and you're interested in getting our latest content as we're producing it. Second, if you're really getting value from these podcasts, please go to iTunes, leave us a short written review. This helps us in so many different ways. Plus, we really like getting the feedback. That wraps things up. We'll see you next time on the Backtable Podcast. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon, with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhorter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.